Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jim Callis. I'm joined by Sam Dykstra today. Uh, he's filling in for Jonathan Mayo and Jason Ratliff, also uh, uh, absent this week. So it's just the two of us. We have a lot to unpack. Uh, Jonathan did his the, the first full mock draft of 2021, all 29 picks in the first round. We've got hot rookies. We're going to have fun. We're going to have uh, Sam and I are going to have our own draft. We're going to discuss the latest additions of Top 100 Prospects list, tease some minor league power rankings that are coming out next week, and of course, delve into the mailbag. Uh, Sam, uh, welcome to the podcast. Not your not your first MLB Pipeline podcast. I know you have your regular podcast with Jonathan and Jason gone. Are you ready to do the work of two men this week uh, all by yourself? I think I am. Uh, you know, no, there's no replacing a Jason Ratliff or a Jonathan Mayo by any means, and I'm not going to try to do that. But actually, I'm really excited to do this this week because, like you said, we are going to get into – Jonathan's mock draft here and kind of in a way I, I can be the the person one step removed I can kind of play the role of the audience this week and and throwing draft questions to you I know you guys do a great job of getting listener questions in each week and we're going to certainly dive into some of those later but um, yeah I, I think I can kind of be that guy to be inquisitive and, and bring some of the outside stuff because you guys are, are so deep in the weeds and draft stuff right now which has been really fun and exciting to see from an outside observer for sure. Yeah, I, I feel deep in the weeds, and, and I enjoy the draft probably as much as anything we do all year. It's a lot of work. You know, we just had our draft top 150 come out with much more change from the original top 100 than in a normal year, just because after the pandemic, performances are kind of all over the place. But you know, as, as I noted, Jonathan last week came out with the first uh, full first round projection we've had at MLB Pipeline. Um, let, let me just take. The, I'll do the 10 picks from the top. I won't read all 29. But Jonathan, uh, and we're going to hold him to this, even though the draft is almost three months away, he, he better get all these right. But uh, Jonathan has the Pirates at number one, taking Vanderbilt right-hander Jack Leiter. Rangers at number two, going with Texas high school shortstop Jordan Lawler. Three, the Tigers with another Vanderbilt right-hander, Kumar Rocker. Four, the Red Sox with California high school shortstop Marcella Mayer. Uh, we'll go another high school shortstop at five, Brady House from Georgia to the Orioles. Then we've got the first catcher, first college bat off the board at number six. That would be Louisville's Henry Davis to the Diamondbacks. Then Boston College outfielder South Frelick to the Royals at number seven. Texas right-hander Ty Madden to the Rockies at number eight. Sam Houston State outfielder Colton Kalzer to the Angels at number nine. And fun fact, those two, Madden and Kalzer, were high school teammates. Um, and then at number 10, Jonathan projected the Mets taking Wake Forest right-hander Ryan Cusick. And as as listeners know, we, we cannot go a week. We ha- Every week we have to give you a Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker update. A lot of interest in those guys. Vanderbilt teammates, I think they're the most, you know, ballyhooed teammates in college baseball history. You know, they're both going to go at the top of the draft. And, you know, th- their performances kind of diverged this week. You know, Kumar Rocker, his velocity had been down for about a three-week period. It bounced back last week. It was up again this week. He was pitching in the mid-90s with that wipeout slider. And he pitched a three-hit complete game win over Mississippi State. Gave up two runs, one earned, struck out eight, didn't walk anybody. And Jack Leiter, who you know we do have projected going number one right now, gave up two home runs to Mississippi State. Total of four runs in five innings. Took the loss. Struck out eight, walked three. Gave up three home runs last week as well. And it's interesting, Sam, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was maybe a little bit more than that, about you know, maybe three weeks ago, I did a story 
lighter versus rocker, kind of comparing, contrasting who's better. And it was a landslide for lighter at that point. It was, I, I think, 25 to 3 <laughs> when I was surveying scouting directors and cross-checkers and high-level scouting officials and a couple GMs. It was a lighter landslide, but I feel like those – Two guys, like, like the gap has really narrowed, you know, Rocker, at the time I did the story, like I said, Rocker's velocity was down, Lighter was, was fresh off a no-hitter, and then went 7-0 hittings in the second SEC start, but it, it feels like the gap is tightening. When you, when you look at this stuff, you know, when you, when you look at Jonathan's mock draft, Sam, what, what jumps out to you? Yeah, so for me, uh, I mean, just the fact that Lawler has wedged his way in between those two, because I think so much of the coverage of this draft so far has been lighter versus rocker, like you mentioned, Jim, in that story, which was really well done. And, and I thought really got into what is different about these two guys. Um, but the fact that that Lawler can kind of get his way in there and the fact that he is, uh, you know, a, a Texas guy potentially going to the Rangers at number two. Um, I think there are a lot of Rangers fans who are all of a sudden realizing they need to research this guy in their home state a little bit more than they were expecting because it always felt like they were going to get the consolation prize to, to drop to number two. Um, but the question I wrote down before we started this, which was the Red Sox are sitting at number four. And, and Jonathan notes here, the Red Sox would love to have one of the top three slide uh, to them at number four, but they get Marcelo Mayer, a shortstop out of California, as you noted. Is he really the next tier or is he part of maybe even a big four? Um, you know, is there any chance that he does jump into the top three and one of those other three uh, slides to Boston at, at the fourth pick there? What do you think, Jim? Yeah, no, I, I think he is on the top tier. I, I think it's I think it's four guys on the top tier. Um, you know, and it's interesting, as you noted, I mean, there's been so much lighter rock or rock or lighter hype, you know, even before the season. Um, you know, we still get questions. Uh, you know, I, I didn't check Jonathan's Twitter feed, but I'm sure after this came out, there were probably Rangers fans going, oh, this is crazy. How are we not taking Rocker at two? And, and, and the shortstops are right there with the pitchers. I mean, I, you know, none of these guys is, is a, you know, a flawless player, if you will. Um, you know, comparing and contrasting Lawler to Mayer, because it's apples to apples, they're both high school shortstops. And, and maybe we should do a Lawler versus Mayer story as we get closer to the draft, like we did Leiter versus Rocker already. I feel like, like Lawler's got a little bit more pop and, and is a little bit more explosive. Um, I feel like Marcelo Mayer is a better pure hitter. And he might be a little cleaner shortstop. Like so, I, I really think they're they're very much one in one a like like lighter and rocker or one in one a among the college pitchers. Um, you know, and it's so early that you know the draft's been pushed back a month too. You know, the California high school season started later, so so Mayor's just been going for I think a little bit less than a month right now too. I, those four guys, like if the draft were today, if, if they went in any particular order. It just would not surprise me. Um, and, you know, with that Red Sox pick, I almost feel like, like, I mean, this is on paper and it's today. It's not July 11th. Like, that's almost the easiest pick of the draft to me right now. Because if I'm the Red Sox, I'm just picking whichever one of these guys is left. You know, it, like, that's fairly simple. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Because there's still a lot can change. And, you know, with Jack Leiter, you know, as we've mentioned ad nauseum on this podcast, you know, the one question that people have that he that he couldn't really answer because he hasn't had the opportunity is, is how is he going? How's his stuff going to hold up as he gets to 80, 90, 100 innings? Because he he hasn't pitched that much. You know, he's a high school senior and then he did the, the coronavirus, uh, you know, shut down the college season last year. And there was, he didn't pitch in the summer either summer. 
in the last two weeks, he's been getting hit a little bit more. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Have you, when, when you looked at this, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much you you've, you followed the draft because you've, you've been focused on a lot of our, our spring training and minor league coverage. Is there a guy who intrigues you, a lower pick, who, who jumps out to you at all? Um, I mean, the, the having started to follow this a little bit last year and trying to see who the big names were going to be, one of the, the names I always control F for on these lists is Adrian Del Castillo, who's at number 12 to the Mariners. Um, This comp could be wrong, so Jim, please correct me if I am wrong, but reminds me the way you guys talk about him, very much of Zach Collins from a couple years ago, of just being a very hit-first catcher, don't know what he's going to do when he – when he reaches the big leagues, I don't know if the the White Sox would take back that Collins pick. He's made the majors. Like that's a good enough what you could ask for. But um, where do you feel like his arrow is going? Because there, as Jonathan mentions in the story, he was thought to be maybe the best pure hitter in the class. Now he's at, out of the top ten completely, going to a Seattle system that will love to take on whatever talent it can get. Um, so where are you kind of feeling about his stock right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the arrow's slightly down. I mean the college bats have been so confusing this year, to be honest with you, um, because so many of them haven't performed and he hasn't been, I mean, there've been some guys who've been bad or, or really bad early and have bounced back a little bit. And he's been more, I think, you know, not, he's had a decent year, but we, we expected more of him to this point. You know, the, the Zach Collins, you know, comp comes up because their offensive mind catches out of Miami. There are some similarities. I, I like him more than Zach Collins because I think, Collins was a power over hit guy, and I think Del Castillo is a hit over power guy, um, and, and I think that's a better chance to, to play as an everyday player in, in the big leagues. Um, the last strikeouts was at Collins, and while Del Castillo is kind of a fringy catcher, I mean, I'm, I'm drawing distinctions here. Zach Collins, I always thought of was a below average catcher. So I feel like Del Castillo's got a better chance to be an everyday catcher. Like, I, I don't think Zach Collins, I mean, Zach Collins, you know, is a big leaguer. I, I don't think he catches well enough to where you could catch him regularly in the big leagues. I think he's more of that DH first baseman, third catcher type. And I think Del Castillo can be, okay, you know, we're, we're living with his catching because he's a really good hitter and he, he's an everyday guy. And, you know, I'll ask you this question, Sam, because this is something that keeps coming up to me. And I, and I think it's oversimplified. So you, I, I hear all the time when people talk about catchers receiving, oh, it's not going to matter that much when we have the automated strike zone, you know, the framing won't matter. And, and I get the framing won't matter. You still have to be able to catch the ball cleanly. Um, you know, we touched on Henry Davis, and that's really the biggest question with Henry Davis. I mean, he's got a great arm and a really good bat. And he's having a terrific year, but he 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 blocks some balls behind the play. I mean, or boxes some balls behind the plate, I should say. But like, <laughs> do you ever think about that? I I feel like everybody just assumes like catcher defense isn't going to matter anymore when we get the automated strike zone, and and I still feel like yeah, framing won't matter, but receiving will. Yeah, I mean, receiving always will matter in some way. If you get a guy who's just constantly running to the backstop, that's not helping anybody's case. But I think what also catching defense speaks to is just overall athleticism. Um, you don't want somebody who's going to be completely stodgy back there. Obviously, there can be cases we're seeing right now in the big leagues with your mean Mercedes and um, somebody who we never thought would have a position because he just wasn't a good defensive catcher and is now proving that he can hit, still hit the crap out of the ball. I, I get that, but I would still rather take a good defensive catcher because that speaks to being able to make adjustments other places. Um, even if it's just we're going to get to a point where all you have to do is hold out your mitt and catch the ball. Um, if you can still frame it decently well for now and until we have the automated strike zone, I don't want to say like 
it's going to come early in this guy's career. We don't know if it will come guys getting drafted this year. If it'll come in year five of their big league career, year 10, year one, even we don't, we don't know until it happens. Um, so I would still lean on catching defense as being a thing until we're absolutely told it's not. Right. Now I, I'm with you. I, I just think sometimes that gets oversimplified a little bit. A, a couple of things that, that, that jumped out to me about Jonathan's mock when I was looking at this, I thought it was interesting that he gave uh, Miami right-hander, Miami of Ohio right-hander, that is Sam Bachman to the White Sox at number 22. His stuff's been spectacular at times, you know, fastball up around hundred miles an hour, wipeout slider. I've had scouts give 80 grades, you know, that, which is the maximum grade on the fastball and the slider. But what I thought was interesting about him going to the White Sox is I've had guys tell me that you could Garrett crochet him. Like, like Sam Bachman's stuff is so good. You know, there is, you know, some question when you start nitpicking these guys, you know, he's not a big guy. He's had some physical issues at times, you know, the delivery is not, you know, guys don't love the delivery. So you, you start talking, start a reliever, but, but people said, you know, this, this could be this year's Garrett crochet. If you're looking for a guy who's just got wipeout stuff and could go straight to the big leagues in a bullpen role, um, Sam Bachman would be this year's Garrett crochet. So I thought that one was kind of interesting. And then, uh, you know, people have listened to podcasts have heard me talk about how much I regret leaving Peyton Stovall, who's a high school middle infielder from Louisiana, off of our original top 100 list in the fall. He was literally number 101. He, and, and we split the country up in half, Jonathan and I do. I, I have Louisiana. I, I have most of the Midwest and, and then Southeast. And we just ran out of room. We, we got a lot of, of sweet swinging infielders on there. And, and as it turned out, we left out the, the, the sweetest swinging infielder. Some guys think he, he's one of the best draft, best bats in, in the draft class. He's got some power, probably winds up at second base. Um, but it's interesting to see the Dodgers taking him, you know, in this projection at 29, because it kind of reminded me a little bit of when they took Michael Bush and they've actually, Michael Bush is, is polished up a lot. And I think Michael Bush may be able to play second base and just the Dodgers, an organization that, that that's known for getting the most out of its talent and really developing guys. Like if they got the raw material of, of the best high school bat in this draft, maybe, and you know, maybe, you know, one of the best overall bats in, in the entire draft and Peyton Stovall, what they could do with him. So that kind of, that kind of interested me. Um, Sam, anything else draft wise, mock draft wise, you wanted to, to, to chat about here? Anything else jump out? Actually, I mean, that, that snowball pick, uh, snowballs really well in what I wanted to kind of end on here in that, like you said, snowball wasn't necessarily a guy on the, the first hundred radar. Now he's popping up into 29. Do you feel like there could be more of that? Are there guys who are maybe not in your original hundred that could pop into first round drafts just because this is the most, in many ways, unpredictable draft we've had in recent years, just because of the way it's getting, it's been pushed back an extra month. Um, you know, we didn't, we don't have 2020 data to go off. We don't have the Cape league. We don't have summer showcase circuits. A lot of guys are going to be increasing their stock basically week to week. Do you feel like there could be more like him as we go forward in future mocks? Yeah, I, I do. I do think we could, we could see that because all the reasons you just said, I also think, you know, as I was kind of alluding to with Jack Leiter, I think not necessarily that, that Leiter will, but I, I think we're definitely going to see um, prospects, uh, you know, college pitchers in particular, maybe hit the wall a little bit as their innings, you know, workload gets up much more than it was a year ago. And then maybe some of the hitters start performing and, and teams have to make the sense of that. But, you know, Jonathan, you know, on this mock draft at number 28, his UC Santa Barbara right-hander, Michael McGreevy, he wasn't on our preseason top 100. Um, you know, we've heard rumblings of, of, you know, Spencer Schwallenbach at Nebraska, who's, who's an intriguing two-way guy as a right-hander and as a shortstop. And I think more teams like him 
as a pitcher, even though he hasn't pitched a whole lot in college um, because he had elbow surgery after his freshman year, he was hurt coming in from high school. And then he's only pitched, you know, about 10 innings this spring, but it's been 10 pretty spectacular innings. But I've, I've heard that there are teams on him as a potential first round pick as a shortstop. And, and Maddox Bruns was a lefty who was on our radar, but, but really didn't throw strikes outside of the beginning of last summer in the showcase circuit. And he started throwing a lot. He's thrown a lot better strikes um, this spring. And so he may push his way in. Um, you know, Matt Mikulski from Fordham is, is a lefty who's throwing really well. And he keeps that up. So yeah, I, I think, um, it'd be interesting. We could, we actually go back and track this. I, I wonder in a typical year, how many guys who aren't on our preseason top 100 go in the first round, but it, but it definitely feels like, like there will be more this year. So we're, we're obviously, you know, monitoring the draft. We will kind of nonstop from now through July 11th through 13th when the draft actually happens and, and then tracking signings and things like that. And, and Sam, one of the things you've been working on, uh, in part because Jonathan and I have been doing so much draft stuff, you've, you've kind of like been, been, you know, handling the rookie beat almost all by yourself. But uh, I, I know this week uh, you, you've been exploring, you know, not necessarily who the best rookies to date have been, although these guys are among them, but who the hottest rookies have been over the last couple of weeks of play and, and some really interesting names in that regard. Yeah, no, for sure. And, um, you know, just to, to give another plug, you know, every night uh, our night staff has been working on these daily kind of rookie updates, um, which I implore everybody to check out. And it's a great way of, you know, getting a snapshot every night of, of what's been going on in, in daily major league games. But in terms of hottest rookies, uh, I've got a story I'm working on now. We do this every other week. Basically, we trade this off with our rookie power rankings. But this is hottest rookies of the last two weeks, the starting date here being April 13th. So if there's somebody who was hot before that, they won't be appearing on here. Um, but one name I want to throw out here, because I last time I was on this show, Jim, actually you and I talked about him a little bit, was Trevor Rogers. Uh, Trevor Rogers this year has gone up against the best of the best of the National League and I'm not only putting him on here because of that, but uh, it's just amazing to me the names he's gone up against. He's gone up against Jacob deGrom and won that game. He's gone up against Corbin Burns, which he did just this week, and won that game. I mean, those are two guys who, if I were to fill out a mock MVP ballot right now, I think deGrom would have been first and Burns might have been third in the NL with Ronald Acuna Jr. right in there. Rodgers is hanging with him, and he's leading all – uh, major league rookies in strikeouts right now. Um, but just speaking of, over the last two weeks, he's got three starts, only allowed two earned runs in 18 innings, a 0.94 whip. He struck out 22 batters and walked only four in 18 innings. Um, you know, he, he's taken off in a way that we didn't expect going into 2020. I know he got a little bit of work there last year. He actually did decently well with strikeouts. Uh, during that time, he got hit around a lot more than he is now. Uh, but to see him make those adjustments, I know, know Jim, you were talking about uh, when you were putting together the Marlins list that he added a little bit of a slider this spring. Um, you know, what else were you kind of looking at for him coming into 2021, building off that that brief major league look last year? Yeah, you know, as you noted, like you know, he, you know, his ERA wasn't pretty. You know, I think it was over six last year. But he actually, if you looked at the underlying numbers, he pitched better than that. And you know. They, with with Rogers, you know, just as I mentioned, the start of his career was so odd because he was old for a high school kid um, when they drafted him, and then he didn't debut his first pro summer, and they held him out till the following May before he he made his debut in low class A, and he was almost twenty and a half, which for a high school kid seems almost impossible when you make your pro debut when when you didn't have like a, an injury or, or surgery or something like that, and um, 
you know, I, I always looked at him as a guy who had a really good changeup, kind of a solid fastball. And I wondered whether, you know, I mean, he, he never showed great field of spin as an amateur um, as to what exactly he was going to become. Because I, I kind of looked at him as a couple solid pitches. He, he doesn't have that breaking ball to really neutralize lefties. But, but you know, he, he's made a lot of nice adjustments in pro ball. He, he, he throws a little bit harder now. Um, he's actually been averaging, you know, 95 miles an hour. Um, in the early season with his four-seam fastball, you know, it usually sits, you know, 92, 94 and, and touches 97, um, you know, and it's got good life. And, and he's got – what works for him, I think, is that the delivery is kind of easy. And, and so it doesn't seem like he's, you know, putting a lot of effort into it. And then, bam, you know, 94, 95 is on you quick. The changeup has gotten better in pro ball. I think it's a legit plus pitch. It really tumbles nicely at the plate. It's got good separation from his fastball. And, you know, it's – I know on StatCast it calls it a slider. It, it's kind of like a – you know, he could turn it into a harder cutter. You know, he's got more feel for that slider than the curveball. Um, and while, you know, it's kind of a – I think it's still kind of a fringy pitch. You know, big league hitters, you know, they're three for seven off it this year. They batted 333 against it last year. He, he throws it enough to kind of keep guys honest. And, and, and the thing that I, I think is nice – when you're a left-handed pitcher, if this makes sense, Sam, the changeup's almost more important, it seems to me, because you're not going to have too many lefties facing left-handed pitchers. You know, righties are going to face right-handed hitters. And so he needs that changeup to neutralize righties. But if he doesn't have a wipeout breaking ball, you're not necessarily going to throw the breaking ball that much to right-handers anyway to begin with. It's more of a pitch for lefties. Does that make sense? So, like, I guess if that's your third pitch, that would be the one to have as your third pitch? Yeah, no, I mean, that does that does make a lot of sense to me. And, and one thing that stood out, you were talking about his fastball and how it's increased velocity. It's up to 95. He's throwing it more often. And I feel like that's almost been the separator for him this year. Um, he got a, away from a sinker that he threw a little bit last year, uh, about 5% of the time. He's basically eliminated that, eliminated that. And his four seamer use has gone from 54% to 62%, almost 63%. It's at 62.7. Um, so maybe that's part of it. I mean, it's, it's the fact that it, the changeup is about the same, but he's leaning off the slider. Um, he's not giving righties as much of a look at the slider, and he's just going at them with fastball change. That could be a huge difference right now. And and the batting average on both the fastball and the change right now is below 180. Guys are finding both pitches really, really hard to pick up, um, which is huge for him and a big reason why he's getting all these strikeouts. Um, one name I want to pivot to real quick, just staying in that Marlins system, uh, if you are on baseball Twitter for any amount of time and there is a Marlins game going on, chances are you're going to see a Jazz Chisholm Jr. gif coming across your feed. Um, <clears throat> that's not the only reason why he's here. He's a very exciting player for many reasons, a lot of which we saw in the minor leagues. Um, he is a power speed guy. He plays up the middle, been playing mostly second base, can mix in shortstop for the Marlins. Probably would have a good chance to play shortstop other places, but the Marlins got a veteran presence at the six right now. He's not going to be doing that. He's going to be playing mostly at the four. Uh, but over the last two weeks, he's hitting 311 with a 367 on base percentage, 556 slugging, three homers, two doubles, and four stolen bases. Uh, just last night, he got two stolen bases off Corbin Burns. That's what I think has been one of the most exciting parts of his game is how aggressive he is at, at base running and really bringing back to the, that to the four of Major League Baseball and, and finding your spots and really going for it. Um, there have been a couple times this season, I feel like, where he stole 
second and then stole third right afterwards. If he sees an opportunity to get aggressive like he did last night with Corbin Burns, he's going to take advantage of that, and that's huge. That's how you turn singles into doubles and doubles into triples very quickly. Um, but the big thing for him, as it always was in the minor leagues as well, is the strikeouts. He is going to strike out a lot. That is how he gets out a lot out of his power. He's a big swinger. Um, but Jim, again, you, you are a guy who has the Marlins list given what we saw in brief looks last year, but also what we saw from his time previously in the D back system at the lower levels. This is about what we thought jazz Chisholm could be at his ceiling, right? Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. It really reminds me of what we saw from jazz Chisholm in the fall league um, in, in 2018. And he was on the taxi squad for the Salt River team, which meant he only got to play twice a week. But he was he, he was one of the more exciting players in the league. He might have been the most exciting player in the league. He hit 442. I mean, it was only 10 games. 442. You had a 12.57 ops, three homers, seven extra base hits, seven steals. You actually didn't strike out excessively, which is kind of his, you know, his big concern. But, yeah, he's – you know, I, the, the strikeouts are the thing with him, as you noted, Sam. It, it's just is he going to make enough consistent contact to do damage. You know, I don't think he's going to be a, a guy who hits for a high average, but you know, if he, he's hitting, I think 280 overall right now, if he hits 280, he's going to put up <laughs> huge numbers. I mean, he, if he hits 280, I think he's a 30, 30 guy. So, so I, I will, I will come back at you with the question since we, we just talked about two Marlins here. Um, which, who, who do you think is more sustainable? Which performance is more sustainable? Not necessarily at the, you know, just totally tearing it up, but but which which performance do you, do you feel like they be more maintainable going forward? Oh man, I, I hadn't honestly thought about that. I mean, the, I'm always going to lean more towards the overall talent. So I, I think my answer is going to come down to Jazz Chisholm Jr. He he was a top 100 talent coming into the year. Rogers wasn't. Um, we all, we've always thought Jazz Chisholm could be talented. Uh, multi-tool, then I think that's a big part of this as well. He has other things he can lean on, even if the strikeouts are there. Um, even if, you know, you mentioned 280, but if, even if he hits 250, like he's still going to hit plenty of home runs and steal bases and provide value in other ways. If player, if hitters are going to make adjustments to Trevor Rogers' fastball, they know the velocity is going to come a little bit more. They know that the change-ups, the pitch they, they can maybe spit on and they need to wait for that slider. Maybe that's easier to make adjustments on. Um, and I'm always going to lean a little bit closer to the position player, but the strikeouts really do worry me, worry me. I mean, th- this could turn around very quickly. And if pitchers know how exactly to get jazz to swing and miss a bunch, maybe he's hitting 220, and, and then it, there's a much bigger emphasis on that power and speed to bring value. But as it stands right now, I just think jazz Chisholm does so many different things. Well, that if one thing falls apart, he can, he can lean on the other stuff in ways that Trevor Rogers necessarily can't. But the Marlins are in a great place here with both of these guys and still waiting on Sixto Sanchez to, get, to come back and um, all the other the young talent that they have in that system. We're hopefully going to see J.J. Bleday this, this summer at some point. I think the, we're getting much closer and closer to that sunny horizon there in uh, Miami for sure. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to ask you about another rookie who, who's been hot that you brought up. And, you know, I don't know if he technically qualifies for our prospects lists 
because he was an older international signing. I don't think he was subject to the bonus pools. I might be wrong about that, but I will admit, as somebody who does our our Rangers uh, top thirty, I, I, you know, I when we were talking about this before the show, I was like, well, where did Adolis Garcia come from, and 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 how is he doing this? And so, so tell us about Adolis Garcia, Rangers outfielder who has seemed determined to show off all five of his tools. Uh, in, in the two weeks he's been up in the big leagues. Yeah, it's it's really a crazy story. I mean, we, we were trading slacks about this, and it's uh, Garcia originally came up through the Cardinals system, got a little bit of a look with them a couple of years ago, uh, was DFA'd by them, picked up by the Rangers. Then just this past February, uh, Texas designated Garcia for assignment again, outrighted him to the AAA roster, gave him a non-roster invite, kept him around. But anybody could have had him. Uh, and nobody decided to do it. Then exactly two weeks ago, exactly when the window for this list started, uh, they called him up. And he, if you look at him, I mean, he looks massive in the box. He looks like a guy who could hit 40, 50 homers. But again, hit tools, a major question for him. Um, what was he going to make the most? of? He's 28 years old. Like the, if he was going to do it, he was he would have done it already. Uh, but the fact that he has taken to major league pitching this well has been incredible. He's now the reigning American League Player of the Week. Nobody would have seen that coming. Uh, over the, this two-week span, he has five home runs, uh, which is leading all rookies in either league, uh, 13 RBIs. He's slugging 615. He's got an OPS of 924. Uh, again, the hit tool is the major issue here, and this is why we're not going to put him on a Rookie of the Year watch list anytime soon. He's hitting 269. His OBP is only 309. But when he's making contact, it is loud contact. Uh, and that's basically what you need to do to stand out. If your hit tool is not going to work and you're going to, you know, his, his K percentage, his chase rate, uh, his whiff rate are all below the 25th percentile right now, as is his walk rate. Um, but he's he's getting good jumps in the outfield. He's ma- making hard contact for sure. Um, it, it's going to catch up on him, but I love these stories. I love guys who were cut are given a second chance and absolutely run with it. And we'll see how long this is going to go. I'm sure the big yard in Texas is going to catch up to him at some point. Uh, if Joey Gallo is not hitting home runs in this in that park this year, I don't think Adelise Garcia is going to do that either. Uh, but the fact that he's got off to this start is really, really special given his backstory. Yeah, and we had you know David Adler, who's one of our StatCast mavens, had a story on him a couple days ago. And uh, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Quick, quick quiz. David came up with three players when he wrote the story who are in the 75th percentile, 75th percentile or better in terms of barrel rate, you know, which is making you know, quality contact on a consistent basis. Sprint speed speaks for itself and outs above average, which is obviously defensive excellence. So there are three players who rank in the top quarter in all three of those categories. One of them is, is, is clearly Garcia, which is why I'm bringing this up. Do you have any idea who the other two are? I mean, Buxton is going to be the, once you mentioned sprint speed and, and, you know, defense. Buxton is not on here because maybe I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess it's early. He's off to a great start, but Buxton was last year, but it is not Byron Buxton. I, I would have thought he would have been too. Okay. Um, what were the categories again? Sorry. Uh, barrel rate, sprint speed, and outs above average. And, and you know, our definition of barrels, I mean, as you know, but just for the listeners, it's an ideal combination of exit velocity and launch angle type of contact that usually turns into extra base hits. All right. Uh, Acuna? Nope, I, I will. I will spare you now. But we just mentioned Jazz Chisholm was one of the other two. 
Okay. And then Matt Chapman, who kind of sneaks in at 77th percentile in barrel rate and sprint speed. So, you know, it's interesting. He's looking at this. I would have, I would have assumed like Buxton um, last year, Fernando Tatis was, was in the 98th percentile or better in all three categories. Um, But yeah, so it's just what we're seeing with Garcia has just been crazy. And I, I, I cannot, I can't think of another player in the big leagues whose performance to this point has been more surprising than his. Yeah, I mean, you, he, he really is on that kind of Akil Badu, your mean Mercedes uh, tier of just pleasant surprises of the first half. Uh, again, those guys are, are starting to come back down to earth a little bit. Mercedes will, will feature in the hottest rookies list again because even when he's he's cooling, he's still hitting 360. Um, but Badu is, is certainly come crashing down to earth as teams begin to adjust to him a little bit more. But I love these stories. I mean, it's great to see, as somebody who's covered the minor leagues for for a long time now, um, to see guys get their chance and make the most of it and have their moment in the sun. Because you can never take that away. Even if these guys don't have much of a career, even if Garcia's DFA'd by September again because he's hitting 210 or something, um, he still will always have this one stretch and it. it will always be part of his biography that he was AL player of the week, which is a huge deal. So um, really exciting stuff to see him take off this way. And, and I look forward as we get deeper into the major and minor league season being surprised more for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great thing about prospects is, I mean, there are can't miss guys who do and there are guys you don't see coming and, and, and come and make a huge splash. It's, a, it's what I think makes this stuff fun. So we're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, Sam and I are going to have a draft because we can never have enough drafts. And we'll do that when we come back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jim Callis, joined by Sam Dykstra today, and uh, we are going to do a draft. Uh, I love drafts. Sam, do you love drafts? I, I, I can draft anything. So I, I do love drafts. No, I, I love drafts. I've uh, it was Oscars week this week, and I, I, I've, a couple of podcasts I listen to do movie drafts. Like any draft that I can get my hands on, I'm a big fan of. Yeah, Def, good, good. You can draft anything. You can put the twenty. You can apply the twenty to eighty scouting skill. Almost anything. I do those things all the time. Anyway. Here's our draft concept for, for this week. So we do a weekly column, Jonathan and I, the MLB Pipeline Inbox, where we get reader questions. And this was actually a question from our own John Paul Morosi, who was getting ready to work the MLB Network showcase game. And he was wondering, 
if the Padres had originally signed and then traded away for the most part, more prospects who are on our top 30 lists than any other organization. And John's instincts were correct because there are 20 players who the Padres originally signed who are top 30 prospects in other farm systems. Um, and second to the Padres is 11, were the Dodgers with 11. Um, then you had the Astros and Yankees with nine each, the Mets with eight, the Rays with seven, and so on and so on. Uh, 13 top 100 prospects on there, including Mariners outfielder Jared Kelnick, who came over from the Mets, obviously. Um, and so I thought it would be fun. We're, we're going to draft a team uh, you know, one player for each position and a left-handed and right-handed pitcher, no DH. Uh, Sam and I are going to draft teams of players who are prospects who have been acquired from other organizations who are on top 30 lists. So Sam, uh, well, usually Jason, if he were here hosting, would, would pick who goes first. I, I've come up with a very unscientific way, uh, odd or even? Even. Okay, well, it's odd because there were 41 41- prospects on top 30 lists acquired by other organizations. So um, I will make the first pick. And then in case you people aren't familiar, uh, all of our drafts are serpentine for the purposes of fairness. So I will go first and then you will pick twice and so on. We don't have to go super deep in, into the weeds on all these picks. Uh, I guess how were they acquired, but we'll, we'll try to explain that, I guess, as we go. I, I'm going to make the first pick. And to me, the first pick it's fairly obvious because he's the highest ranked guy in the top 100, who I just mentioned, and it's hard to fill three outfielders when we do these things. So I'm going to take Jared Kelnick, who to the horror of Mets fans was part of the Robinson Cano Edwin Diaz trade that they wish they could have back. But I will take Jared Kelnick to fill one of my outfield spots with, with this first pick. All right, cool. Well, I'm not going to necessarily – I'm going to try to game this a little bit. I'm not going to – Wholly stick to the rankings. There, there is somebody who, if we were doing rankings, I feel like would be the obvious number two. But he plays a little bit of a deeper position. And I see, I've named it too. I, I'm thinking the same way. So this oh, will be no. interesting. Oh no! All right. Well, uh, well. So my second pick, I'm going to go with left-handed pitching because I feel like there's a steep drop off here, and I don't want to lose my chance. And I'm going to go with Matthew Liebertor uh, of the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, I think he's the best left-handed pitcher on the board here. Pretty good fastball. Pretty good curveball. Um, I actually. When we did the, the best breaking pitches, I had his curveball is the best in the Cardinals system. Um, just going to be a real strong anchor of my pitching staff here. So I'm going to go him at, at left-handed pitcher. And then I, I had this guy down at two positions. I'm going to take him as shortstop. I don't think he's going to play shortstop in the big leagues, but he d- has eligibility here technically. And I'm going to go with Jeter Downs at my shortstop position. Coming over front to the Red Sox uh, in the Mookie Betts trade, you know, I'm from Massachusetts. I have a lot of friends back home immediately texting me after that trade being like, what did we get? Was this at all worth it? I don't know if it's going to be worth it in the end. Mookie Betts, obviously a generational talent, but Jeter Downs, a good player in his own right, going to play either shortstop or second base. Uh, decent hit tool, decent power tool, can do a lot of things. Not necessarily, you're not going to find like the 60s or 70s on his board, but you're going to find a lot of 55s. And that's just a good foundational player for me. Um, so I got Libertor my first pick, and then Downs at shortstop as my second. Yeah, it's funny because we're thinking along the same lines here. I, I would have definitely taken Libertor with my, with my, if I was picking second, and I, I Jeter Downs also. I, I'm going to have to find you in our in our imaginary kangaroo court. 
you had the opportunity to mention Randy Rosarena's name on the podcast, Sam, and you did not take it. <laughs> so, like, like it's, which is terrible. But Libertor, obviously, part of the Randy Rosarena trade. Um, you know, we we worship Randy Rosarena here, and I remember at the time thinking, I can't believe they traded him. But but I I, I have attacked this the same way. I did I did did some quick prep. Anybody who knows me knows how competitive I am, and, and I was looking at okay, where are the the positions that are going to be hard to fill. So I, the outfield is going to be tough. I'm going to go back to I, – I, maybe I'll just take all Mariners outfielders. But I'm going to take Taylor Trammell in, in the outfield, part of the, the Austin Nola trade with the Padres uh, last year. Um, Trammell obviously originally signed by the Reds and went to the Padres in the three-team Trevor Bauer trade. Um, you know, he's off to he's, – he's played you – know, had some good moments in the big leagues – uh, big friend of the podcast. We've had him on before. He's a great guy. I think he's going to be working for MLB Network one day. So I'm going to take Taylor Trammell uh, with, with the fourth overall pick. And then I'm going to, again, looking at position scarcity, I'm going to go with Lewin Diaz of the Marlins, um, who was traded by the Twins, I believe, for Chris Valamont. Um, a couple years ago, but I'm going to take Lewin Diaz at first base again, thinking that that might be a hard position to fill. He's got power. He plays good defense. I, he, Chris Valman, I, I said Chris Valman. He was part of the Sergio Romo trade where Chris Valman also went to Minnesota. But I'm, I'm going to go Lewin Diaz as I continue to look at position scarcity. I, I feel like there were about five or six positions that were scarce, and I, I know what you, you were alluding to. There's there's two very good right-handed pitchers. So there's no need to take either one of them with an early pick in this draft. Honestly, there's like four or five. Right. Like I, I, I put it three and then I was like, wait, I only need two. Cause yes. if I don't get my first guy, I'm going to get my second guy. Um, so that'll be an internal debate for me going down the line, but I'm still going to hold off on that right-handed pitching spot. I'm going to go to second base. I'm going to fill up my middle infield and I'm going to go with Xavier Edwards uh, traded from the Padres to the Rays. Uh, you might be remembering it at home. I will not be saying the phrase exactly, but Blake Snell, had a thought about Xavier Edwards, and you described him as a particular type of prospect. Uh, but Xavier Edwards is a top 100 prospect in his own right. Um, can play a little bit of short, but mostly going to be stuck at second. Lots of contact, lots of speed, very little power, but he's going to put the ball and play a good amount. Um, he's going to you know, keep the carousel going. He's going to be a threat on the base paths. Uh, so I'm going to take him at second base. And then I'm going to stay on the infield at third base and go Isaac Paredes. Um, I know he had a difficult time in the major leagues last year. Uh, Tigers were a little bit disappointed by, th by that. He had a monster winter. He went back home to Mexico, uh, played in the Mexican Winter League. I think he would he would have won the batting average title. He would have won the batting crown uh, if he had been eligible. Uh, but he was a few at bats short. But otherwise, he would have led in a host of other categories. Uh, they were really pleased with how he took to that. He really just needed to find success again. He's not with the big league team now. He's probably going to start out at AAA Toledo. Uh, but I think there's enough hit tool there. He's still plenty young in his early 20s uh, that that could come around. And, and he can build off that momentum that he built in Mexico. And I think the third base spot, it, there's a, another steep drop off. So I got Edwards at second and Paredes at third uh, to fill out three quarters of my infield anyway. Yeah, and it's interesting because, again, you don't have to draft your, you know, I don't have to draft positions. You filled till the end. You don't have to draft positions. I filled till the end. So it's kind of boxing me in a corner as to where to go here. I guess I will go to catcher, although I kind of had three catchers, all roughly the same in my estimation. But I'm going to take Ronaldo Hernandez of the Red Sox. He, he was, I thought, the number one catcher on the board. Kind of part of a interesting trade uh, this spring um, after the Red Sox 
designated a couple journeyman pitchers for assignment in February. They traded him to Tampa Bay and got Ronaldo Hernandez and, and infield prospect Nick Sogard. You know, Hernandez was, was very good in 2018, slumped in 2019, obviously didn't get to play in 2020. But I think he's got a chance, Sam, to, to hit 20 homers per season. Uh, on the upside, he's got a big, powerful arm, decent catcher behind the plate. So it's so all good with him. And then <laughs> I don't have to pick like a lot of these positions till the end. I, I guess I will just go ahead and take the plunge because I, there are, I only need one more outfielder and there's four guys I'm looking at. I, I'm just going to take my favorite of all these quality right-handed pitching options we have. And I, I am going to take a guy who was, who was traded by the Padres, uh, which I think we've taken three, two of those because Tremel was not originally signed by the Padres, but three of the guys so far have been traded by the Padres. I'm going to take Luis, Luis Patino, just one of my favorite pitching prospects, part of the Blake Snell trade. Um, in the off season. And, uh, you know, I, I still, I, I can't think of him without thinking about how, how great he looked at the futures game where he struck out Joe Adele and he was almost walking off the mound before the pitch even got to the plate. And I just love the athleticism. I, I think he's going to be really good. Jonathan and, and Jason mocked me a little bit, but I, I think there's a chance that Luis Patino is more valuable over the rest of Blake Snell's contract than Blake Snell will be. I, I think he's going to be really good. So even though the, there are there are other great right-handed pitching options, I just I, I just really like Luis Patino, so I'm taking Luis Patino with that pick. Okay, yeah, no, I, that's interesting that you said that about being uh, worth more than than Snell the, the remainder of the contract because I love that trade so much in a way of it just being like we have prospects, you have an established major leaguer, you're looking for prospects, we're looking for it. Just was such a classic matchup trade and. I think that worked really well that I might revisit later preview on that one, but we'll see. Um, I, I don't have any outfielders. I need outfielders. Um, so I'm going to go with Hudson head uh, part of the pirates organization now um, included in the Joe Musgrove trade uh, moves from San Diego, just this past off season, uh, 2019 third rounder. feel like he could have really popped in a normal 2020. He's a plus run guy, good arm from the outfield. Um, Hit and power are about average right now from the left side, but maybe he could grow into that. He's 6'1", 180, a little bit more experience. I think he could be a top 100 guy down you know, the second half as he starts to prove himself at the lower levels. He'll be 20 for the entire year. Um, so I'm buying a little bit of potential here, even in, the, in a prospect sense, uh, because he's not a top 100 prospect just yet. And then hmm, just, for, just for podcast purposes – I will also dip into right-handed pitching and go Sixto Sanchez uh, just because it would feel really weird for me if he was a later round pick. I know he's dealing with issues right now. He's, he's on the shelf. He's not started the year in the exciting way that we expected. Uh, but last year it looked very much like Miami's ace uh, has multiple plus pitches, uh, draws comps all the time to Pedro Martinez, his, his idol. That's putting too much weight on him for sure. I'm not trying to say that, but as a smaller right-handed pitcher who, who can dial it up when he needs to and, and shows good secondaries. Uh, Sixto has as good a ceiling as anybody on this list, and that includes Jared Kelnick. He just needs to prove his health. Hopefully we can see that here in the next couple of weeks. I know he's starting to throw from distance now and, and doing so comfortably in the last update. So uh, I don't want to leave Sixto Sanchez on the board too long, so I'll, I'll snag him up here. Yeah, I was hoping you would pick two outfielders because I kind of have three guys that I'll have the same. So, so strategically, I should pick the outfielder here. But since I can't make the decision, I'm just going to pick other guys and, and let you whittle down my outfield list. I, I will also go back to the top 100 um, and, and take a guy. 
Uh, O'Neill Cruz, I will play him at shortstop. Much like you said, you're not sure Jeter Downs is going to be a shortstop in the big leagues. He might be a second baseman. I still think O'Neill Cruz winds up in right field when all is said and done. Um, but he's intrigued me. I, I do our Dodgers list. I originally had him. He was a Dodger. He was one of the guys they traded to get Tony Watson, the 2017 trade deadline. Um, I, I would annoy Jason to no end because he kept growing and growing. And I'd be like, hey, O'Neill Cruz is 6'4 now. Hey, we need to change his height to 6'5. Now he's 6'6. Six, six. And, and Jason's like, really? And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, like the guy's legit 6. And now he's 6'7. He keeps getting bigger and bigger. But he's he's got cannon arm, huge power. He, I don't think we're going to see a six, seven everyday shortstop in the big league, Sam, but, and you've probably seen him at some point. He actually looks pretty good playing shortstop at six, seven. He looks much better than you, than you think he should. He's a solid runner. I, I think this guy is just going to fit the right, right field profile to a T, but for, for the purposes of this draft, I'm taking O'Neill Cruz and, and putting him at shortstop. And then I will take, um, Again, I, I want you to to make my outfield decision for me. Um, so I'm going to avoid outfielders. I'm going to take Taron Vavra uh, of the Orioles as my second baseman. He was one of my favorite sleepers in the 2018 draft, third-round pick of the Rockies. He got traded to the Orioles as part of the Michael Gibbons trade uh, in, in 2020. He's got two brothers who played pro ball. His dad is a former hitting coach in the big leagues, longtime minor league manager. And, and so he's one of these guys, high baseball IQ. He can really, really hit, uh, you know, he, you know, it's, it's not big power, but he, but he gets to everything he has and it's kind of average speed, average arm, but it plays up. So he's just one of my favorite guys. Um, so I'm, I, even though I, I liked Xavier Edwards, Part of me was secretly hoping you would take Xavier Edwards, so I would have to take Taryn Vavra, and I'm, I'm very happy to do so. I hate playing into these traps of yours, Jim. I well, it wasn't a trap. It wasn't, you got the better guy. It was just like, you know, and then, and the same thing. Like, I, I'm well, I'll get to a pick later, but those are my two picks. And uh, so I, I wasn't sad to lose Xavier Edwards as I would have normally been. Okay, fair enough. Vavra. All right, well, I will go with my two outfielders now. How about that? And uh, hopefully this will sort things out for you. Uh, I'm going to go first with the higher-ranked guy on my list um, here. I might not like him as much as the this, this second guy, but he is higher-ranked, and he is part of my list, actually. It's Khalil Lee, uh, who moved from the Royals to the Mets this offseason. Kind of as a throw-in to the Andrew Benintendi trade, it sounded like the Royals were offering Lee for Benintendi. Uh, the Red Sox were like, well, we're not as high on him as, as others might be. The Mets kind of swooped in and said, hey, we like him. We would like to get involved in this trade. They swoop in. They get Khalil Lee. Uh, Khalil Lee, a, a very strong defender, a good runner. Uh, two years ago, was second in the minor leagues in stolen bases. Uh, I think that's basically his best trait right now is, is his speed and his defense uh, because he has a very strong arm in the outfield, can, can probably play all, all three spots, uh, more likely – to, to stick to center, but I, I think it's a possibility. You could see a little bit of right because of that arm. Uh, the biggest question right now is his hit tool uh, from the left side. He strikes out a lot. He puts the ball on the ground a lot. The Royals really tried to hound on him to elevate the ball more last year at the alternate site. Sounded like they were pleased with it, but it's still not there yet. Uh, so he needs to do that. And the swing and miss is an issue with him. But I think, you know, the other tools are there that can make him at least a fourth outfielder in the major leagues at some point. And, you know, he'll, he's only 22 right now. He's going to turn 23 in June. So the fact that he's knocking on the door is about the timeline we would expect from him. And another name I'm going to throw out there was a little deeper down, but I think like in long term, if we revisit this list in a couple of years, this might look pretty good. I'm going to go Isaiah Green. Um, 
going the other way. Somebody the Mets traded away this offseason was involved in the Francisco Lindor trade that sent him to Cleveland. Uh, Isaiah Green was the 69th overall pick in 2020, so we have not seen him in the minors yet. Above average hit tool from the left side, good runner, good defender. Not a lot of power or arm just yet, but I think the way my outfield is looking right now with Head, Green, and Lee, there's a lot of youth there. There's not a lot of experience yet outside of Lee, but we're going to cover a lot of ground. It's going to be very difficult to, to hit the ball to the outfield and expect the balls to fall in. Um, maybe Green moves to left field here, but I, I, I'm buying the hit tool. I'm buying the run tool, and I think he'll, he could grow into that in the Cleveland system in time. Uh, so that rounds out outfielders for me. Well, well, that didn't help me at all, Sam, because I, I, I looked at both those guys, but neither one of them were in my top six outfielders. So I'm going to I'm going to just defer my outfield pick to my last pick. Um, I, I started to, to say, uh, you know, when I was talking about, you know, you got Xavier Edwards, top 100 guy, good pick. But like I really like Karen Vavra. So I, I wasn't heartbroken. And similarly, you, you took Matthew Libertor, who I would have definitely taken number two, but. One of my, my not a lot of lefties here. I think the next best lefty, if he were healthy, might be fully healthy, might be Joey Wentz. But I'm going to go with, with, with the sleeper pick, Kevin Smith of the Orioles. Not taking him because he's a, he's a UGA guy like I am, but take I, I just think this guy can really pitch. I, I think it's 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 average to solid stuff. He's got deception. He throws a ton of strikes. The Mets got him in the Miguel Castro deal last year, and I think it's a sneaky good pickup. I mean, this this is going to sound insane. But, but I'll go ahead and say it because I've said it before. When they were both in the Mets system and part of its color that I saw David Peterson pitch really poorly in the fall league and look really ordinary, I thought Kevin Smith was a better prospect coming up through the Mets system than David Peterson. So I, I'm taking Kevin Smith as my lefty, happy to get the UGA representation on my team. And then I need a third baseman. I, I will go to the Rangers, uh, another team I do, and, and Shirt and Apostle, who – you know, okay, he, he might wind up at, at first base in the long run, but for draft purposes, he's playing third now, so I'm taking him as a third baseman. And he's just got huge power, huge arm strength, six foot four. I, I think I might win a, a basketball game between our teams here, Sam, because I have a lot of big guys. <laughs> you know, he, there is some swing and miss, you know, that, that he's going to have to address, but it, it's, it's big, broad power, it's big arm strength. He came over. Uh, as part of the Keone uh, Kila trade in, in August 2018 from the Pirates. So uh, I, I'm taking him at third. I, I will have to, still have to fill my outfield spot, but you 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 were up for two picks at, at catcher and first base, I believe. Yeah, yeah. These will round out my team. Um, it doesn't matter which one I'm going to go with first, but I'm just going to – I feel like take the only first baseman that was really left on the board for me, uh, who is Seth Beer, Um Really kind of surprised that we did not see more out of him last year, at least make the majors. Um, but Seth Beard, since his Clemson days, has always been a hitter. That's basically his position. I'm putting him down at first base, but his position is hitter. Uh, I wish he could have maybe stuck in the Astro system. He moved over from Houston to Arizona uh, in the Zach Greinke trade a couple of years ago. Um, defensively, still very much a question mark. Uh, but I, the power is there. The hit tool could be there for him. Uh if you're going to stick him anywhere, you kind of have to stick him at first base. I know they've tried outfield with him, but uh, going to put him at first base. Hope hope all the offensive pieces come together uh, for him, and he can kind of anchor the middle of my lineup. And at catcher, I'm going to go with Blake Hunt, uh, who is now part of the Tampa Bay Rays system. Um, he was included in the Blake Snell trade. He's 22 years old. He was the 69th overall pick in 2017. It seemed like his arrow was really pointing up last year. 
His best asset right now is his arm, but it sounds like he was putting together more power. I did a uh, column about him uh, following the trade, actually, during the offseason for MILB.com. It sounded like his offensive skills were certainly ticking up. Um, he's somebody who's taken to more of the one-knee approach at catcher. Sounds like that's helped him with framing and getting to that. So uh, big guy at six foot three. He's going to be a big target, but if his framing's good, his throwing's good, and the offense is, is uh, tracking up, I'm willing to buy in now and make him my catcher. Yeah, I like that. I like the Blake Hunt pick. I'm, I'm actually – you're making me second-guess my Ronaldo Hernandez pick a little bit. But um, I like that one. I will conclude this draft by taking Gilberto Celestino from the Twins. He, he was originally an Astro. Um, got traded to uh, Minnesota in the Ryan Presley trade in 2018. Um, kind of one of those rare backwards guys. Bats right, throws left, but he can hit. He's got solid speed. He can play center. He can throw. I, you know, I, I'm kind of on the bubble as to whether I think he's going to truly be a regular or more a good, you know, fourth outfield type. But but I like Gilberto Celestino. So that will that will conclude our draft. Um, that, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, you can never have too many drafts, Sam. Um, but, th- but that was good. That was good. I feel like, uh, and that kind of illustrates the nature of how many quality prospects have actually changed organizations since entering pro ball. Right. And we both entered this thinking like, oh, there's going to be some positions that are really not deep and we're going to be really digging the dredges. But the fact that there was just two of us and I think both of our teams are pretty deep and unique in their own ways and tell their own stories, I think is speaks to, like you said, just the type of prospects that get traded. It, it's not just one category. It's not guys that everybody's down on. And in many cases, it's guys who are, you know, another organization is really excited to pick up. And that's what I think we've highlighted here. So, well, that was a lot of fun. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at the newest member of our top 100 prospects list and dive into the reader mailbag. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. We're back on the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jim Callis with Sam Dykstra. You know, one of the regular features we do on this podcast every week is we take a look at the newest members of the top 100 prospects list that we continually update anytime a guy graduates to the big leagues. We take him off the list. We replace another one. By graduate, we mean lose rookie status, not just get promoted. And anyway, we, we only had one of those. Um, the aforementioned uh, Jazz Chisholm uh, graduated, so he's no longer a top 100 prospect. And he was replaced by Jaron Duran. And, and Sam, I know when we were discussing uh, and voting on top 100 replacements, which we do periodically to, to have a steady crop of them coming, you, you were very bullish uh, on Jaron Duran. Uh, what, do you, what jumps out to you about him? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is always just going to be his athleticism. Um, I know he's still a work in progress in the outfield, but I got to watch a, a decent amount of the alt site last year at Pawtucket. Pawtucket did a great job of sharing video and, and alt site games and sim games and all that. And that's continued since they moved over to Worcester. Um, they've done a really good job of, of sharing live video of what guys were looking like. And the Red Sox were always big on Duran showing more power. That's a big thing for him. Um, he didn't show much of it in his first year. He showed a really good hit tool, especially in the first half at Class A Advanced Salem, uh, tailed off a little bit. But you're always going to want to buy into his plus-plus speed. Uh, and if he's starting to show a little bit more power, starting to show uh, a little more elevation on the ball like he did last year at Pawtucket, uh, I thought he was a fringe top 100 name coming into the year. And as names were falling off, you know, I'm willing to buy into that. It, it seems like he's going to stick at center. Um, which is a big deal. I know the arm isn't great, but going back to the days of Jacoby Ellsbury and Johnny Damon, the Red Sox have lived with not great uh, arms in center field, but have made the most of it if those guys can hit. Duran can hit. Uh, if that power comes along, I think he could be you know, a, a top 75 name in, in time. He just needs to show it on a minor league level. He's going to start doing that here at AAA here in a couple of weeks. But um, that 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 was my biggest thing. It's just he made the adjustments. He had a very strong winter league down there in Puerto Rico. Uh, was starting to show the stuff that the Sox were talking about all last year at the alt site. It, it was starting to show up in results in a competitive environment, which is a huge deal, obviously. Uh, and then he had a very strong spring as well and started to show some of that power. He was hitting as many home runs as Bobby Dahlbeck, who is another top 100 name in the Boston system. Um, and Bobby Dahlbeck hasn't gotten off to a great start. I know that. But uh, the fact that Duran was able to carry that was a big deal for me. So, But, Jim, you, you're our Red Sox guy. You have the Red Sox list. Um, at, when you were preparing for 2021, you know, what stood out to you and what thought made you think like he could be on that fringe of the top 100 coming into the year? Yeah, you know, he, he's he's a little bit of a tough guy. Like, like he was on the bubble for me. He's got a ton of tools. And he shows a lot of promise. I just wanted to see more of it. The reason I didn't vote for him for the preseason list was I wanted to see more of it in actual minor league game action in a larger sample size. Because, I mean, his career has been so interesting. I mean, kind of an unheralded seventh-round pick out of Long Beach State, which is a very, very tough place to hit. So he didn't put up big numbers in college with the 49ers. Really good pro debut. Comes out, he hits 387 in the high Class A Carolina League. And he goes to the Futures game and... I don't know if anybody ever figured this out, but we, we believe it's a record <laughs> that he's the lowest draft pick to play in the Futures game his first full season in pro ball as a seventh rounder. Um, and then he went to double A and he was kind of overmatched. So it was like, what exactly do we have here? And then obviously there's no 2020 minor league season. And you hear, you know, like you talked about, you know, the, the adjustments he made, you know, to, to, to you know, make more impact at the plate. You know, he added some loft. He started using his lower half better. And you hear he's doing well at the all site, but it's, it's not really games. And then, he was really good in the Winter League playoffs. He was okay during the Winter League regular season. So, again, it's like, what do I make of this? You know, it's encouraging. The spring training's encouraging. But, again, it's exhibition games. But I, I am really looking – I mean, I, I can say it's about 1,000 guys. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does this year. Um, I think if he produces, we could see him in Boston at some point this season. Um He's supposed to have made strides defensively as well. When I, when I saw him in the Fall League two years ago – you know, he, he was a second baseman at Long Beach State, and he looked really raw in the outfield. I mean, it was the classic using your speed to outrun mistakes. He wasn't getting good jumps or taking great routes. So I think that's still very much a work in progress. Um, and again, I, I really am looking forward to seeing how all these changes and upgrades play out this year because because you're right. I mean, if 
if if this guy, you know, if Jaron Duran is a 20 home run guy all of a sudden, and if they've polished him up or, or he continues to get better and he's going to be a solid center fielder with plus-plus speed and some hitting ability, <laughs> that's a really good player. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does, uh, what he does during the season. And so – uh, you know, lastly, it's been a you know typical podcast, and we, we always go to our readers. We ask for questions, and we have an interesting one. And I think you kind of wrote a story about this topic to some degree earlier in the season, Sam, about when guys might come come up. But we have a question from Mariners Mojo, who uses the handle at Mariners Mojo on Twitter. What is the likelihood by the end of the year that the Mariners will have called up Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez? And Logan Gilbert, and so I'm going I'm to let you go first here, Sam. You have to give us an exact percentage and your explanation, and then I will go over or under and and, and give my thoughts. Oh boy! Um, so when I first saw this question, this was the percentage that jumped out to me, and I this could be hedging a little bit, but I, I'm going to go sixty percent. Um, I, it's obviously a step up, fifty fifty. Um, but you're right. I did do a story of like ETAs for MLB's top prospects. And I had all three of these guys making the majors at some point, uh, the Mariners for all their recent issues about service time and, and people discussing that and the team president before he, he left, uh, they, a couple of years ago, they did this with Kyle Lewis and they thought, you know, he was coming off a, a strong double a season. We want him getting his feet wet. They did it with Justice Sheffield as well. I think Kelnick and Gilbert are certainly candidates to come up in the first half. That's not what I'm worried about. I think it comes down to Julio Rodriguez. Uh, and, you know, for him, he's had some nagging injury issues. A lot of those are kind of freak injuries. Um, not anything I'm worried about long term, but it's still something that could come up if he misses time. They may not bring him up in the second half. When I originally wrote this piece, I had it him coming up in August. Um, I'll stay around there, but I think – Obviously, if we get to August and the Mariners are in last place and they don't have much going for them and there's still six weeks left of a minor league season because minor league season has been pushed back and they want J-Rod getting uh, you know, consistent at bats, they might not call him up. But if he's done doing everything he did in 2019, and by all indications he will uh, because he is a top five overall prospect, he'll be knocking on the door by August. And, and I think if the Mariners really are sincere – and the idea of them turning the corner on their rebuild this coming off season, they're going to want to take a look at him and see where he is and where he fits in that outfield next to Lewis, next to Kelnick, Taylor Trammell's still going to be around. So they're going to have to find spots for him. Mitch Hanniger's healthy and around now. Like they, I understand they have multiple outfielders, um, but n- none of them outside Kelnick, I would argue have the ceiling of Rodriguez. Uh, so I think it's going to be more difficult for them to keep him down in the second half. It is a little bit of a hedge to say 60%, but that's what I'm going to go with. I think 60% is an excellent guess. I, I was actually thinking you were going to go higher because somebody responded on Twitter to 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 Mariner's Mojo with 90%. And I was like, oh, I hope Sam goes high. But no, I, I think 60% <laughs> right. I, I'm going to take the, the, the slight under. And I think you laid out all, all the reasons right there. Like I would put Kelnick and, and Gilbert seem like they're going to be up barring like an injury. I, I, I just don't think they're, they're going to, I think they're just going to dominate the minors and don't have much left to prove there. Uh, so I think we'll see them. And, and I think it does come down to J rod and uh, you know, extremely talented. Um, I, I wrote a, an inbox piece a few months ago. I, I think J rod's probably gonna be the number one prospect in baseball entering next season. Cause I don't think he's necessarily going to graduate. Um, and, and you're right. You know, e- even last year, you know, when there wasn't 
there weren't games. He fractured his wrist, so he 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 was out for a while. Got some winter ball at bats, but not a lot. The year before, he had a fractured left hand. He played 84 games, but like as, as great as, as J Rod is, like I just keep coming back to the fact he's only got 547 pro at bats right now. He, he's only 20 years old. I mean, he's immensely talented. You know, he's only played 17 games above low class A. So I think just in terms of you know, he, he did play in the fall league after the 2019 season, but he just hasn't faced a lot of upper level pitching on a consistent basis. As you pointed out, Kyle Lewis is going to play. Mitch Haniger is going to play. Taylor Trammell is going to play. Jared Kelnick's coming. So I think he's the wild card. And, and I, again, I mean, Sam, I thought you had a great answer. I think it comes down to if they're contending for the wild card late in the season and he can help in, in kind of a, a reservish role, I think they'll do it. But otherwise, I think there's a chance that they might just say, look, why are we starting his clock? You know, that we don't have a place for him to play. You know, if it goes the other direction and maybe they trade Hanniger at the deadline and somebody else gets hurt, it creates an opportunity. But I will take slight under at 60%. And one more quick question. I know we're going long here. Who do you like better? Could we go back and forth? We have Kelnick ranked fourth, J-Rod ranked fifth on the top 100. Who's your gut feel as to who the better guy is? <sighs> um, that is really the... Million dollar question. Um, I, for me, I think it's Kelnick. I think he just does multiple things well. If if anybody's going to take anything from my appearance on the show, it's that I like guys who can do multiple things, not just one thing well. Um, so I think the fact that he is maybe a little bit better of a defender, uh, more likely to stick in center. Although you could debate that whether he should stick in center, but I think he has a little bit better of a chance to do that. Whereas. Julio Rodriguez is more your prototypical corner guy. I know Rodriguez typically is going to probably hit for more power, um, but he's not as good a runner as Kelnick is. So the fact that Kelnick's package of tools overall um, gives him the slight edge for me, but I, if Rodriguez is the better hitter, if we're talking about like in a couple of years, Kelnick's a 125 OPS plus guy and Rodriguez is 135, something like that. Um, it's going to be the debate's going to continue because then it's going to become how much do you value defense and base running. Um, so I think it's going to be close for their entire career. But as we're looking at right now, give me Kelnick the slight edge in part also just because, like you said, he, we've seen him do it for a little bit longer term because he was healthy in 2019 and 2020. Yeah. So apparently Sam and I are in perfect sync on all things Mariners related. Um, I, I agree with all that. I, I give Kelnick the slight odd. I f- a slight edge. I feel like he's got a higher floor. J-Rod's maybe got a little higher ceiling, but they both have high floors and high ceilings. But anyway, good stuff. That's a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline Podcast. Thanks for joining me, Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You don't miss any of our weekly episodes. And thanks for listening. See you again next week. 